Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today on the What Fuels You podcast, I'm talking to Ben Gilbert. Ben is the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs, a local startup studio and early stage venture capital fund founded in 2015. Ben is no stranger to entrepreneurship, having started developing apps in his college dorm room. His first app, Seize the Day, had over a million downloads and was featured by Apple and Time magazine. Ben has also been instrumental at Microsoft on the first version of Office for iPad, a co-founder at Madrona Venture Labs, interim CEO at Taunt, and he was named the 2017 Young Entrepreneur of the Year by GeekWare. He stays plenty busy co-hosting a very popular venture capital podcast called Acquired, sitting on several boards and coming up with new concepts for startups at PSL. Welcome, Ben. I told I told you before we started, I'm like, you're this like, I know you don't like it, but you're this like prodigy. Like you sound like you're 50, but no. How did you do all this? In what abundant spare time? Um, I was going to show you this with you before, but I, I think I think the answer is just doing um, basically always having two careers at once. Ah. Um, I, I like just always was doing a side project. Well, um, yeah, clearly. I mean, your your intro was like crazy yeah I, uh, well so first of all thank you yeah um, i think it probably looks more impressive on paper than than it it, it certainly than no, it feels it, and probably than it is yeah um, we're, we're trying to rapid yeah. fire you don't get to get out of this part just right. because you're amazing okay you ready what is the best word that would describe you as an investor Ooh. um rapid fire compelled man. oh compelled Okay, I like that. Um, what is your most common and favorite form of exercise? Running distance. Like or marathons? Distance running. Which the longest? Just did my first marathon. And? It was awesome. I mean, finished. it was super painful, but it was awesome. <laughs> um, what is a book that you're currently reading? Um, <laughs> what I think about when I think about running. That's a book? It's a, it's a book. It's a it's memoir. It's called What I Think About When I Think About Running? Something like that. Huh. It's kind of a rambly memoir. All right. What are some of the favorite things that you like to photograph? Uh, people, uh, but way too close, and they always get uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think, like, capturing emotion is uh, one of the most uh, fun and meaningful things you can do as a photographer. I started doing a lot of landscape, and at some point you kind of realize, like, okay, cool. Like, like wah, wah. Got it down. People have seen a lot of landscapes. I, I always photograph people, and they're always annoyed, and then later they're very happy. Yeah. Um, what's your best attribute? Um, That's a tough one. Uh, skill mixing. Nice. Is there an app that you most frequently recommend to people? Uh, Weatherline. It's the best weather app. And being a Seattleite, you should have a good weather app. Weatherline. How does that differ from weather? It's really, just really good at illustrating like what the weather is going to be and when. Down and to the hour? extremely local. But yeah. you don't like carry umbrella or anything weird like that, do no. you? No. Okay, good. Because you would have to be kicked out of Seattle. 
Real Seattleites, Mr. Ohio, do not have umbrellas or even raincoats. Actually, um, let me change that answer to auto sleep. Oh, auto sleep. What yeah. is that? It's a sleep tracking app that hooks into HealthKit, which gets data from your Apple Watch. Um, and I wear my watch to sleep every night. And then I get like a BPM analysis okay. and deep sleep and wrestle. You know. Are you a good sleeper? Yes. It's it's a budget. So it tells what percentage you are in credit or debt based on how much sleep you okay. should be getting. I, I have read in um, researching you that you've described yourself as a geek and a nerd or something, and I never saw it, but I'm kind of seeing it right now <laughs> in your sleep analysis. Thanks, <laughs> Go sleep analysis. It's you're like, like uh, I'm like the, getting negged here. It's you're like, getting oh, negged. You're like, no, so, yeah. no, you're good. Okay, so Mr. Ohio, you grew up there. Um, I mean, now you're in Seattle. A lot of the people that I've met in my lifetime that are from Ohio, I met in New York. Hmm. So are there a lot of Ohio people in Seattle? Have you met them? Yes. There's a big Buckeye contingent. Okay. And you guys all go watch the games together and stuff? No, I tried that. The official bar is Sport Bar and Grill, where where GeekWire has the... um, after party for oh, the awards. yes. Which during the daytime when most college football on feels like a, a, a brighter Applebee's. Ooh, and it's no a, boy, no. No. Well, maybe you could change that. You're an influencer. Tell all the Buckeye <laughs> fans to meet you somewhere. Yeah. Right? That's a good idea. Have them all listen to Acquired and you'll suddenly like sell out the bar. Um, okay. So tell me about your childhood there. Tell me about Hudson, Ohio. Yeah. Um, I like how deep you go in the research. So I uh, grew up in Hudson. I originally was born in Delaware, moved to Hudson when I was six. Hudson is, um, I thought it was a suburb when I was a kid, and I've been back, and it's um, a little bit more rural than it is suburban. Mm. Not super like... Like cow tipping? Not quite. You'll see a lot of horses and stuff, but like, um, it's not like people are farmers, but the houses are just a lot further apart than I remember. Yeah, like you have acreage. Yes, Nice. So your yeah. closest neighbor, you can't just like walk down. It's and... like we, people have like one acre. Ah. But like every neighborhood is like that. There aren't, you know, you walk around Seattle in the neighborhoods and like every They're house condensed. is kind of yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. It wasn't like, in my head it was like that It's like Wooden kid, Bell. But... It's like Wooden Bell. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not quite as nice, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and tell me about your parents. Do you have siblings? Younger sister named Allison. Okay. Um, Shout she, out to Allison. She is a professional pianist. So she's getting her... Uh, Third, fourth uh, music degree right now. Are you a musician at all? No. Well, I play guitar, but it's not like poorly. Okay. Yeah. It mostly good? sits there. And do you have business folks in your family? Were you raised by a business <sighs> Sort family? of. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, actually, is the answer. My um, my dad was an engineering manager when I was a kid. Uh, mm. Originally an uh, electrical engineer, then product manager, then uh, he's been a VP of engineering at three companies in a row. Oh, okay. Um, and and so, and, and like in Northeast Ohio, so not like companies you've probably heard of, um, but uh, I, when I was in high school, did my career project on marketing, and um, but... I spent a lot of time writing PHP, so I was like build my high school website and. That's you doing your like multiple skill thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do you learn PHP? Well, you're younger. How did you know that was a thing? (laughs) Uh, My friend Ryan, who I was building the uh, school website with, um, taught me that and MySQL, which is a database. It was that sweet lamp stack era, and so. I remember my dad though coming and talking to me at some point and being like, "Look, like we just spent a weekend like." installing Linux on an old computer and like you're building websites and like, do, are you sure you want to do marketing? Like you really could apply. He and, wanted you to go the engineering route. I think so. I at least wanted to float it. Yeah. And I really, you know, I looked up to him and um, 
for sure. I think the more I like thought about it, then the more I was really compelled to to do it because I mm-hmm. like tinkering. And, and are you more like him or more like your mom? More or like more my like dad. Allison? Yeah, I, I'm more like my dad. Than, yeah. Than anyone? Do you have that kind of you know people talk a lot about the left brain, right brain, and I would think of a marketing brain differently than I yeah. would think of an engineering brain. You sound like you're kind of a little bit of both. Um. Yeah, if I had a normal job, I think actually I'm I would be a better marketer, uh, even though my background is is CS. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about acquired, but um, have you put your marketing head to use with acquired? Are you the marketer? Yeah. Or is David and chief engineer? Oh, like look at the, you! I'm like the microphone guy. See, every single thing that you talk about is going to be like I'm a this and a that. You're like an LA guy. That's like I'm a director slash actor slash producer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> have you ever been to LA and met people that have had just one thing that they say? No. It's an LA thing that people have a lot of slashes. Huh. You'll see next time you go. All right. When you meet people. It's it's actually really funny. Um, and so what kind of lessons would you say that you got from your parents? Um yeah, work really hard. Like um um I think making something of yourself in the world is important. And um, if there's something you want to be good at, you should work insanely hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't actually think I'm the – I always felt this way about my CS stuff in undergrad. Like, I was never the best programmer, but I could always just, like, work a lot and then get an A. Like, outwork somebody else. Yeah. And I definitely got that from my dad, better or worse. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to be a hard worker. And it's it's something that's really hard to teach. It's yeah. like either you are or you're not. Um, and a work ethic is something that's obviously super important and somewhat lost today. Like kids want that immediate gratification. It sounds like you're willing to like work for it. Yeah. Um, and I which think is great. Well, I'm going to preempt your question of of asking five whys deep on that because I was thinking about this walking into the studio. I was oh. like, Sean's probably going to ask me like, why do you work hard? And, why? Why? You did, why? You're, you're a great interviewer. I, oh, thank and, you. Like, I think your your John and Todd episode was great. I've listened to a bunch of your. Oh, podcasts. thank you. John and Todd just called that one a shit show, which I can't tell if that's a compliment. <laughs> I'm like every time I see John, he's like, "Oh, that shit show." I'm like, John, that's a good thing, right? He's so fired up. Oh my it's god, great. he's so fun. I love those guys. They're yeah. awesome. And and Jonathan Spazzato was fun too. Yeah. Thank you for listening. So okay, so the why. Well, we're Jewish, also. That's what we're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. This is weird. I don't know if it's weird, but. Um, I think the coupling of the importance in education in sort of Jewish community and culture um, couples nicely with that you should work insanely hard and make something of yourself in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the working working really hard was the fuel for you or your parents' money or was it giving back or was it um, a sense of accomplishment? Like what, what what were you fueled by at that time? I think sense of accomplishment. I've always felt really good. I'll tell you, the reason that I first discovered I really liked programming is because you knew definitively when it worked and when it didn't. It's measurable. Yeah. Like it doesn't, like it throws compiler errors or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Well, marketing's not like that. Or like it it works. It's like math. And like there's that incredible sense of accomplishment. I actually like doing laundry because it's not folded and then it's folded. And like then it's done. You want to come to my house? Observable progress. You can do my laundry. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally yours for the taking. No. And it's interesting. So, um... Acquired, uh, just to give a little context on it, it's a, a podcast that started about technology acquisitions and is now um, about telling the stories and of, of great companies. And yeah. IPOs now, yes. Um, and, you know, what started with the first six months, we did an episode a month or so, very, you know, sub 
sub 30 listeners is now, I think we're coming up on about uh, 30,000. That's insane in the membrane. It's nuts. You get that. It's nuts. It's just this slow. But you guys are good. But you guys are really, really good. You You and David sound great together. You're really good too. But it gets better. But who's better? I'm just kidding. uh, David. Yeah. Look at his notes. He's more prepared than you? Uh, Yes, definitively. Yeah, I'm the I'm the problem child. Like it's a he he gives us a really good. Uh, you guys are great. You have great chemistry, and um, it's just great content. And I'm super inspired by it. And you've also given me great advice because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So <laughs> thank you so much, and thanks for being on the podcast. So, um, okay, so Ohio State University, you're studying computer science and engineering. You're thinking maybe you're gonna be an engineer. Yeah, and. Um, you've had jobs across the board in all sorts of areas of technology. It sounds like you've done a little bit of product, a little bit of design, a little bit of engineering. I wouldn't call it design. I'd, I'd say I design things accidentally when there's no designers of, like available. You're the backup, like yeah. default, but not really. Yeah. Um, when I read about you, it said that your first kind of experience of um, getting that entrepreneurial spirit was in ninth grade. What was that? In ninth grade. I did my research. I think what that might have been was um, I built, with my friend Ryan, who also did the school website, um, we were all on AIM and AOL Instant Messenger, um, and yet you didn't always know, like, oh, I, there's this person in my class, and I don't, I don't know what their screen name is, and absent asking them, there's not a way to figure it out. And so we built, this was my first PHP MySQL website. It was called Hudson SNs, Hudson Screen Names. And it was a um, big database. It was literally just like dumping a SQL table out and, and building some UI around it of, of people's names and their screen name. And that way you could log in and you could see like, oh, there's, oh, there's like, of course, the people that are already on my buddy list. But like, who else oh, might like I know the, from school? Almost that, like Amazon, like people who bought this also bought that. Much <laughs> like, it, it was not collaborative <laughs> filtering, but it was like uh, you could log in and basically just see like, here's all the list. It was pretty basic. It's actually it really cool. Yeah. But uh, that way people got to like find out what each other's screen names were. So and were you trying to build online. a business out of it or no. it was just like an ease of? No, but you know, <laughs> it was my first attempt at like a build a high traffic website with no plans to monetize and figure it out later. And of course we never monetized, but it was like an I amazing like it, though. learning experience. A super amazing learning experience. And I also read that you were an Eagle Scout. It was. Um, what is an Eagle Scout? Uh, I was a Girl the, Scout. Is that like the equivalent of the boy it's like, one? I think it's like the gold award in, in Girl Scouts. It's basically like... I didn't make it that far. It's the, it's the highest rank that a sub-18-year-old Boy Scout can achieve. And so what did you do with your time? And how... Was it volunteer stuff or learning how to tie knots? Like, what... It's mostly sticking to it, honestly. Like the hardest part is you are going through your teenage years, uh, school is getting hard, college applications are happening, you're into girls, um, you have a car, you're learning to drive, and yet you still go to meetings. And there's there's hearts. I mean, there, you have to do this big project, so it's a multi-hundred-hour service project that you have to do and organize. What was yours? I built ecology gardens outside the high school's um, ecology class window. So you could see, like, there's hawthorn trees, and you could see all these different types of birds that nested in there, and built. A and bunch is of that like helpful for college applications, or is it just something that like rounds out your life totally. experience? Actually, I think I got my first internship at Cisco because I was an Eagle Scout, and so was the interviewer. Oh, yeah, nice. So Eagle Scouts is um, part of Boy Scouts. Yeah. So the Boy Scouts had that whole controversy, and then all this stuff about like letting in um, transgendered. 
people. Yeah. What's your take on Boy uh, Scouts today? Is that a disappointment for you? So there, yes. Um, there are people who have given back their Eagle Scout Award. Like Steven Spielberg famously said, no. Like, I know that I earned this when I was a kid, but like, you know, your stance on gays and your stance on, it's a it's an organization that does not reflect a lot of my views on human rights. Um, however, I'm not there to, to at a place where I'm saying, like, I so violently think that this yes. is an evil, you know. I think um, Boy Scouts is a fantastic organization. I, I would think if I have kids, I would definitely want my son is, to... Is this an if kids or when? Uh, it's an if. I'd say, like, I'm, wow. I'm not I'm not 100%, so... You'd be a good dad. Thank you. And I do want to say, like, the, 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 the part of the Boy Scouts of America that bothers me, even though they've taken some nice steps recently, is they just... They go halfway on stuff. Mm-hmm. The statements are like these, so like they were so afraid like poli- of pissing off. Like yeah. the, the the you know are much more conservative group that uses us for their youth group programs or whatever. That like the progress is so slow, and mm-hmm. um, you know it, I'm happy it's happening, but it's uh, I look at it like when I was a kid and I didn't know as much about a lot of this stuff. I would look at it aspirationally. When I was in college, I would look at my resume and say, this is like a fantastic, amazing thing that I'm um, unabashedly proud of. And I certainly look at it now and think, uh, it's, it's got some trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And um, when you say that you got your job at Cisco, how did that even come to be? You interviewed there, and was it one of those college and so I got bonus points in a class for going to the career fair as a freshman because mm-hmm. typically um, the what they told us is no one hires freshmen. And when I got there, Cisco told me the same thing, no one hires freshmen. Um, what kind of job were you looking for? Software engineer. Okay. Uh, I was a um, computer science engineering yeah. undergrad. And um, so I was talking to the guys at Cisco. I basically just didn't leave the booth and I was like <laughs> geeking out with them. And after like a half hour and them finding out um, – like some of the classes I was taking and stuff, they were like, well, we got an extra slot. Do you want to come in for the interview? And then it just so happened that the interviewer was an Eagle Scout and they were like, well. Done and done. Yeah. You're a freshman. Um, and so, but I have read that, that um, that's how we got on the Eagle Scout thing to begin with, that you've kind of taken some of your leadership skills from that experience. Yeah. In what way? Are there um, values that they have listed out? I didn't look it up. There are. There, there are 12. Oh. Um, but I'm not sure. It's I, like Burning Man. Exactly. No, it's uh, it is, it's Youth Burning Man. No, it's far from Youth Burning Man. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, let me see if I can remember it. Trustworthy, uh, you're loyal, gonna remember helpful, them? friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Are you kidding me? You just did my daughter's <laughs> bat mitzvah speech. Thank you. <laughs> Mic drop. Thank you. Thrifty? Thrifty. Are you thrifty? I'm very thrifty. Hi, that's um, good. But I would say the number one thing is lead by example. This was like a thing. I don't know if this is like a Boy Scout thing wide, but it was a big thing in my troop where it was basically like, you know, no one's ever going to respect you if you tell them to do stuff and you don't do it too. Yeah, you gotta you gotta walk the walk. Yeah. And so, what was your experience like at Cisco? And what was that culture like? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny because like it's my only. I hadn't built any apps yet. I hadn't, uh, I interned in a startup later during college. Um, and so like, I just thought this is what work was. So like I'd go in at eight thirty and have my like tucked in shirt and I'd get my coffee and I'd go sit down and I'd write all my test cases. It was like, it was a corporate. A, yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, was that the kind of thing where you do this internship or you do this job and they're thinking this is going to be an ongoing thing and we're going to get him while he's young? Yeah. I mean, I interned there again the next summer in California the second time, but yeah. In Silicon Valley? Yep. 
Okay. So that was my man. I remember exposure to the West Coast. Who I I I found a thing from when I was in high school recently that was uh, when I grow up, I'm going to move to the West Coast and do a startup, and you know, it kind of like laid out a lot of the stuff. And uh, I remember like when I first um, got to Mountain View. Uh, and that was my first weekend. Like I, Cisco's corporate campus is very. Inc- it's a very office like, park yeah. type thing. Yes. Um, and it's... so then on the weekend we went up to Mountain View and walked up and down Castro Street. And I remember seeing the Mebo logo on a building and like all these other Web 2.0 logos and being like, oh my god, this is where the internet is in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how crazy is it to see the logos of things that you only ever see on websites like here in the real world? Right. And that, I, it's. Um, I love being in Seattle, and I I think I probably will live in Seattle the rest of my life. I always get a little twinge of that whenever I go down to the Bay Area and I see it. I'm like, whoa, Hmm. this is like, it's all right here. The center of it. Yeah. Yeah. I recruited, I don't know if you know this about me, but I recruited in San Francisco 94 to 99. Good time. Perfect time. And it was literally like, you have a heartbeat. You're hired. Like, I mean, everybody, (laughs) the big kahuna was Oracle. Everybody wanted to work at Oracle. Wow. yeah, pre all these other cool companies that have been unacquired, but it was good times. And it does feel like that down there, but I think it's changed. It doesn't feel, it feels a little bit, I don't know, corporate in San Francisco for me right now. Yeah. It doesn't also, feel as like gritty. It also feels like you're in a war zone. Yeah. You're down. It's like hard to walk 10 blocks, you know? Yeah. I think Seattle's in an exciting time right now. I'm and super pumped to be I, here right I now. I also think we're fortunate to have, uh, a city that made a lot of mistakes that we can learn from. Yeah. Okay. So you worked at Cisco two summers, and then what is Codonics? <laughs> that that was the company that um, my dad worked at. And so when I was in high school during the summers, I'd go get paid eight dollars an hour to hmm. go and uh, actually learn Python there. So that was like where I I started for my first few summers d- doing the test engineering. That's really quote unquote test engineering. They made medical printers, and so I would like grab the thing and let this let the spring slam the the platen down like I, I think it was like a thousand times I'm remembering this one test case and then boot it up at the end to see if it worked and I'm sitting there with a clicker letting this thing slam slam <laughs> slam and like and getting paid yeah it was basically like doing drop tests um, and then every summer I'd get a little bit more technical so then by the last summer I was um, yeah I, I writing rudimentary Python test and so then when you're graduating, um, what did you kind of want to be when you grew up? What did your note say to yourself? Uh, uh, start a startup, I think, or run a startup. Because I've read about all these startups. I'm like, I don't know where they are on your background, but there's a lot of them. I mean, yeah, CoTweet, were... I interned at during college. That was my junior year internship, um, and that had just gotten bought by Exact Target, um, which was a big, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was a big like two billion dollar sale to. Um, uh, Actually, you're a descendant of Oracle, oh. Salesforce. Oh, yeah. Mark Benioff. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I read about Red Ride. Red Ride. So that was my uh, first company in Seattle. So I worked at Microsoft. So let me explain this. Yeah, like, explain dual, how you even got two careers to, yes, thing. I need to know. Um, and how did you get to Seattle? Microsoft? Microsoft. Ah. Sort of. Yeah, Microsoft. I had started Seize the Day in college, which was my like to-do list app that got a million downloads. Um, with my partner, Ian, who was the much more technically gifted of the, the two of us. What's the equivalent of Seize the Day r- now? Reminders. But Apple didn't ship that yet. And so there was this glaring hole in iPhone OS 3 that was like, people want a to-do list manager. And so yes. we got featured by Apple and all that to drive a bunch of downloads. And so um, 
it was one of the few iOS productivity apps, and Microsoft was working on Office for iPad secretly. And so uh, when I happened to intern there, I was I was like looking around on all these different intranets, like SharePoints within the company, and found some documents referring to the project. Um, and so then I sort of networked my way to that team, and they were like, "Oh, you're like one of the few people in the world that understands iOS and productivity." So I I I basically, even though I was not. <laughs> Uh, not a big Microsoft fan. Like I was sort of a unabashed Apple fanboy growing up. I thought like this is the most important product in technology right now, um, and I want to go be a part of that at a, at a college. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it was crazy. It ended up being part of the CEO transition where uh, Steve Ballmer said, "No, we're not shipping this. It's against our strategy." Um, and it, you know, the first thing Satya Nadella did when he came in was announce that it was shipping on stage. So that was kind of this big. Big, yeah, crazy thing to be a part of. And so, but what happened with Seize the Day? Oh, yeah, so uh, I shut it down. It was one of these things where, like, it was making some money. Um, I didn't have time to keep maintaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, it had so many support requests. Like, iOS 7 came out and the whole UI changed. So now, what are we going to do? Like, go overhaul this whole thing? Right. That it, it just became one of those projects that you got to let die. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. And so, what about what's zero? Uh, that was, we tried to make a better seize the day, but it wasn't better. We spent okay. a lot of money making it, but in a different name. Yeah, and so is is um functional delights the that is the uh, the holding company that is of all the these holding things? company of just those two apps of those two. And okay, and then where's Red Ride and all of this? So Red Ride is a company that Chet Kittleson, uh, who is now head of corp dev at Redfin. Yeah, I'm like, why do I know that name? Yeah, so okay. Chet pitched it at a startup weekend in 2013, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, and I joined his team and I was like the CTO and he was the CEO and it kind of steamrolled into becoming a real company. And what we basically did was it was kayak for ride sharing. So rather than opening Uber and Lyft and sidecar and car to go, um, you open one app and it tells you like which car you should take. Where is it now? Uh, we killed it because all the companies, um, did not like the fact that we were scraping their private APIs and... They did not want to be aggregated yet, which they shouldn't have because it was very early in the the development of that market. Yeah. And did you get, when you went to Microsoft, did you get what you were looking for from that experience? You wanted to like be on the forefront of what you thought was the most important. Yeah. What was your experience there? I've had a lot of people on the podcast that have worked at Microsoft and I always love asking. Yeah. It depends on what generation of Microsoft they're in, how they describe the culture. I was not there in the best generation of Microsoft, but I was on a team that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the company had a lot of complacency, a lot of blinders, and uh, big strategic um, crossroads that they were refusing to come to grips with, namely that it wasn't the Windows company anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but And of course, that's my bias because I was on the Apple team there uh, yeah. doing the iPad thing. But and what is the garage? Uh, so that was my second job at Microsoft, where uh, the garage is a grassroots community of 3,000 people at the company who all want to do stuff that's not their day job. And I was like chief community officer, effectively, of like did helping you, these did people you create that? Did you create that role for yourself? Uh, no. I stepped into that role after Quinn Hawkins created it. And Quinn now runs Redfin Now. Over at, and they're both at Redfin. It's kind of funny. That is funny. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was, uh, uh, I got that job because I ran a bunch of startup weekends outside the company. Yeah. And then uh, they were like, hey, we want someone to do that inside the company, and this guy's leaving. How did you get involved with Startup Weekend and kind of entrench yourself in the startup community here? 
And especially for someone who's just moved here and is like, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. So I started going to Startup Weekends in Columbus when I was in school at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. What is Startup Weekend for those who don't know? It is a 54-hour business hackathon where uh, you pitch uh, 100 people come in and 50 people pitch ideas on Friday night. Um, You pick the best ones and you form 10 to 15 teams and then you build and you learn and you talk to customers all weekend. And then on Sunday night, you pitch to a panel of judges who might include local venture capitalists and accomplished entrepreneurs. And uh, um, sometimes they become real businesses like Rover.com. Yeah. Well, I had Greg on here, Gottesman, and and I love that story. Um, and Rover's been a big client of ours. It's been super fun to watch Rover grow. I love that it came out of Startup Weekend. So when you were going to Startup Weekend, you were going as a what? As an engineer? Um, yeah. Yeah. So a guy that's like, hey, I'm gun for hire. If something catches my eye that has some legs, yeah. I'm going to run with it. Sometimes I would pitch ideas, but sometimes I just wanted to like work on, mm-hmm. on on building stuff. Are you the type of person who's got ideas like all the time brewing? Not like Greg. Mm-hmm. I have some, but I've I've come to grips over time. Like I'm not actually the idea person as much as I am the, the execution person. Mm-hmm. Even though I thought I was more the idea Are person. Are you the poke holes person because you're lucky enough to have been an engineer, you can poke holes at, at it from an engineering standpoint? Now I poke more holes from a business model perspective. I think it's probably 100 episodes of Acquired talking, but it's it's uh, most of the holes I poke now are more sort of um, strategic, um, hey, market forces aren't going to let you do this over time, blah, blah, blah. The, mm-hmm. um, and the hard part, frankly, of being a tech investor uh, now is that the the most successful outlierish companies survive the whole poking. And so there's lots of reasons why they shouldn't have worked, but they do. And so the hard part about venture capital and investing at all is not why won't this work, but there's a trope that it's it's instead how big could it be if it did. Mm. And it's really hard as someone who – one of my superpowers, unfortunately, is within the first minute of a conversation when someone's describing an idea to me, I, I can tell them the 11 reasons why it won't work. I think that's good. And and I've, like, really tried to train myself to hold back to try and look you could for write it down. ways it could work uh, to, to be the optimist instead. Well, we're going to get to Pioneer Square Labs because I don't want to necessarily fast forward to that because you've had so much cool experience. Did you think when you were at Microsoft – um, that it was kind of a holding pattern. You're there for a while thinking, I'm always going to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I felt um, unpatriotic and like an imposter. Yeah. Because I just, I wrote down on my notes, this is surprising to me. But, but <laughs> I, I, I love the team. Like the people that I worked with were so awesome. But like, yeah. I just was never going to put like that Microsoft sticker on my laptop. You know, yes. it just wasn't my, it wasn't what I bled. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm the same way, but I understand completely. Yeah. Um, and so you went straight from there to go to Madrona, start Madrona Venture Labs? So th- this is where Red Ride is important. Um, yes, I need to know. So I knew Greg Gottesman, who's my co-founder at, at, at PSL um, and is a longtime venture capitalist. Um, and he were, was at Madrona at the time. Um, I knew Greg uh, because a friend of mine, Nick Seguin, who was on the Startup Weekend board with Greg, had introduced us when I moved out here and said, hey, you know, this guy's always shipping apps. You guys should get together. And Greg was a... Um, 
he was a mentor of mine when I was at Microsoft, and he was my sort of bridge to mm -hmm. what's going on in the startup world. Was that a formal discussion of like, will you be my mentor, or no. it was just subconsciously like? In fact, he probably would think it's weird that I'm describing him that way. Well, I've, I mean, I know that you've described him that way more than once, and so, and he's humble, and so he'll be like, "Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. You're my mentor." Back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'd probably spent say way that. Too much time with Craig, yeah. But. Um, how did you decide that, or did it just decide for you? We just clicked. I mean, the first, um, yeah, I mean, the first time that we got together uh, for a one-hour calendared thing, we ended up going on a three-hour walk and talking about all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, I look up to Greg so much for the way that he treats people I think there's a skill set that he has that's hard but not impossible to acquire. That is how to evaluate businesses and have a good sense of, of what could make one successful and what's not. And I think the thing that Greg has that is truly unique in the world is the way that that he treats people and interacts with people. And mm -hmm. um, I felt that like immediately the first time I met him. And um, It's like basic kindness, right? <laughs> it's like the things that we're like, we and could fairness. Want, we could want all these things for our children, yeah. but at the end of the day, you want fair, kind human beings, Thoughtful, and yeah. more of that in the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. No. A hundred percent. So, so to I'm I'm on this big digression here. You know, everybody's got this like, ooh, I should email this person. Few and far between. Only when I think it's like something that's actually worth their time. Like, would I would I want to bother Greg about this now? And when I was at Microsoft, like that was my sort of mindset. Um, which I'm sure Greg wishes he still had because now sitting next to him, there's a lot of like, you know, hey, will you proofread this? Yeah. Um, and uh, so with Red Ride, we had pitched that at Startup Weekend. I think we won, or I think we, or Taylor Soper wrote a story about us ways back in, oh. in GeekWire. So it's, I reread it the other day. It was really funny. Um, and uh, at some point that led to me actually seriously meeting with Greg about it, where he and Julie passed at Madrona for all the best reasons. I still actually have the pass email from Julie, and I, I, I've read it a it's few times. It's so sweet. It's, it's so sweet, it's so thoughtful, and it's so correct. It's like, here are the roadblocks you'll hit. Do you have thoughts about how you might get around those? And we didn't. We just were like, I, uh, we're just going to run hard at it and see. And... Um, I uh, so after we shut down um, Red Ride, there was one other project in between. But but basically, then I was sort of back at Microsoft, and and Greg was thinking about labs, um, and he called me Super Bowl Sunday when the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl in 2014, I think, maybe it's end of I think it was 13, end of 2013, yeah, because I remember where I was that day, yeah. yeah. I was FaceTiming with Greg. He was in nice. a Seahawks jersey. Uh, and he basically pitched Madrona Labs to me and said, would you would you come do this? Because you keep pitching us ideas. Um, and what was the role wanna... as he described it? Uh, hey, this rover thing is working. I think we can take ideas that, that we come up with and just build them and see and put them out and just be scrappy and build, build, build. Mm -hmm. Which is interestingly a little bit of a different philosophy from what we have now at Pioneer Square Labs, which is, we don't want to build unless we get conviction up funnel. Like, we want to test it even cheaper than building, if possible. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, even now versus 2013, that's more possible. Totally. All the tools are out there. I mean, entrepreneurs have it at their fingertips. Let's just test this, yeah. especially with social media and stuff if it's a consumer business. But it was interesting. That was like that era of the MVP. It was like, be scrappy, ship something, be embarrassed of it, which, like, are still good advice, but... Uh, it. 
I think we do so much more up funnel work now mm -hmm. on um, do people want this? Do we have to build it to know if they're going to want this? Mm -hmm. um, and also what's the – I feel like Greg has said um, – maybe I'm misremembering this, but I feel like he's been like, what's the – the cost per acquisition and yeah. like what problem are you solving? Right. I do think just to throw out way too high of a high level of a thing right now, I, it's interesting that we're in the post mobile growth era. Like we had the trillion dollar boom that was the computer, the PC, then we had the internet, then we had mobile. Like there's not more mobile phones shipping. There's not more breakthrough apps like we're kind of think it's going to be like the wearables well, that's already coming i think we're in a holding pattern where everything like drivable cars vertical applications are getting better like you know things specific to industries until we figure out what the next wave is and we don't know yet it's like machine learning is like a half wave you know it's People thought crypto was going to be a wave. People thought VR was going to be a wave. Everybody's Still talking maybe. about AI and machine learning. I mean, everybody. Yeah, but it's like a half wave. Like, we're not. Yeah, it's a half wave. There's not a new trillion dollar technology platform that everyone has that just is this mad rush of new, you know, wild, wild west the way that the App Store was. Yeah. No, it's true. So, how did you feel about the idea that you'd be helping other entrepreneurs versus being an operator yourself? Do you want to operate a company and put a product out there? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, I, I definitely, you know, for a year, I, I was the CEO of Taunt, which was mm -hmm. one of our, our spin outs. So I have sort of gone through what it is to do a venture fundraise and lead a small team, eight people. Um, what does Taunt do? Uh, it makes it more fun for fans to watch esports. Oh, so yeah, I knew that. Gaming. I did know that. Yeah. Yes. Um, but again, like I should, that is nothing like doing the whole journey. Yeah, like that's the, not like, okay, I'm in my garage. What about the next 15 yeah. years, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. I think about that a lot, and I often think about if I were to go start a company at some point in the next decade, what would be my motivation? And I think I've um, talked to enough thoughtful friends and um, and people over the years where I'm now aware that some motivation or a previous motivation for me to start a company was external validation, like, hey the thing that people respect is founding a company and growing it and then exiting it. And, well, and the and money. Sure, but it's it's like the, what you, I think my mindset when I was in college and I was interested in entrepreneurship was like, I don't want a billion dollars to have a billion dollars. Like I want to have an, a create that much value in the world because it's some sort of measuring stick. And I'm, for better or for worse, now aware of that motivation. And so, and I don't think it's a very sustainable one. And I also don't think it's one that leaves you in a, a good headspace because you put too much of your eggs in that basket. And I already stake way too much of my identity on what I do professionally. I can't imagine if, you know, I, I poured my whole self into a brand and, and product. Mm -hmm. um, some I, You could argue I already do at, at PSL. Um, but I think if I were going to go do it now, I would need a different motivation to do it. Well, to feel good about it because you've matured. Yeah. Like it would have to be something that like... Like passion driven. Like I, I had... Exactly. And had yeah. deep um, founder market fit yes. with. Like yes. I'm the person on earth to go do this. Thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Sometimes when I'm putting candidates into companies that I think are really cool or I go meet with a company and I'm like, you're building what? This is super cool. Like I get like, move out. I'm coming in. Yeah. I want to go work there. Yeah. And so is there ever a part of you that 
is meeting with entrepreneurs. You're like, I love the idea. Too bad I'm not the guy running this. I guess the question also is, do you believe in investing in people or ideas or some combination of that? Complicated topic. Let's first answer people or ideas. Um, because of the the way venture math works and the way that it's uh, um, venture capital firms tend to have power law distributed returns. And so what that basically means is um, one company tends to be responsible for um, the lion's share of, of yeah. the, so when, when you're investing, then you kind of have to look and say like, could this be the fund maker every single time you choose to invest? So that like tautologically means you're investing in markets. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I am not the type of person that's really interested, number one, in the interpersonal strife or number two, in the work that it would take to like back someone that I don't think is great in a big market and then adjust that later. Yes. Um, I'm I'm much more both comfortable with the idea of just passing, saying like, look, lots of big markets, fine. Like, well, I, I just don't have to don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, or two, saying like, look, just choose to work with extraordinary people and then they'll figure it out and you can mm-hmm. figure it out with them. But like extraordinary people also don't want to go invest in bad markets with their time. Yes. So, And what about if somebody's an extraordinary operator with an extraordinarily large market, but mm-hmm. they're an asshole? Yeah, I don't really want to work with them. I'd say if I were in less of a privileged position, then I, I would be more open to doing that. But the way that, you know, choosing to work with good people mm-hmm. allows you to continue to only work with good people. And yeah. I've been lucky enough to have that so far. Yeah. When you and Greg... Um, spun out and did Pioneer Square Labs. Um, what made you decide to do that and what is the differentiator? Yeah. Um, breadth and scale, I'd say, are the, the thing. So uh, one of the things that I was thinking about walking into, and I promise I will come back and answer this question after this this little tangent. I'm going to be like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I have two things that drive me. At a macro level, it's impact. Like I really want awesome products and companies to exist in the world that I helped to create. Like, I think I I just, we're all going to die and um, you leave something behind. And I I, I think um, part of my next stage of growing up will be uh, shaking the motivation that is legacy. But right now I'm like totally legacy motivated. Like I want to build stuff that has impact in the world that outlives me. And this is your moment. yeah. Right? I mean, it was like young, energetic, in a great market, totally. in a privileged position and with lots of exposure to lots of deal flow. Yeah. And like hopefully it stays a great moment for a long time. Yeah. I, I'm definitely definitively motivated by helping to make important things in the world. On the other side, on the sort of micro level, I'm like a fiddler. Like I love just like tweaking stuff and and making stuff. Like this goes back to my earlier thing of like when the code compiles and it works and it spits out the number that you think it's going to spit out and you're like, oh my god, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Or like on the acquired website, like moving this stupid div over there to see if it looks better and you know if if I can get more people to join the Slack by putting it here versus there. Like I I just like it. It like soothes my rat brain to like polish stuff and, mm-hmm. and like build stuff and see if I can like make a little machine over here that does something on its own that I don't have to be involved in. And now it kind of just goes, which is like what a lot of acquired stuff is now. There, it's amazing how much I can kind of just go without me shoving it all the time. Yeah. So um, when you sort of combine those two motivations, 
um, of like make important stuff in the world and, and help play some small role in that. Um, and also be able to sort of like tinker and fiddle and make, um, often those things I think are at odds. And, and I've thought about this more recently as I've, as I've been doing more investing, um, your role as a board member is not to fiddle. It's, it's governance and it's trust and it's be a thought partner and it's have a 30,000 foot view when they have a 500 foot view. Yeah. And so. Well, that's the operator in you. Right. That's like, oh, wait, I'm not building this thing. They are. Right. And I, my job is to guide and yeah. Yep. And so my, my. That would be hard. My, my challenge and the thing that I'm trying to get better at, and I think like the first stage is awareness, is just making sure to know like, hey, what's your role in this and what's not? Mm-hmm. Um, and on the all the studio stuff that we work on, like that's my fiddling ground. Acquired, that's my fiddling ground. Like investing in companies or spinning a company out and then taking a board position with that company, um, not my job. Like there I'm helping to make something great and, and the other people are the people. Well, that's really great. good to have the awareness of it. I know also you've, you're involved with Anti-Defamation League, right? I am. And so what is that? Yeah, so the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, is... Um, a over 100-year-old organization um, that has a, a dual mission, which I always butcher as I'm going to describe this. Um, part of it is around um, securing the safety of the Jewish people, and the second component of that um, is making sure that it's a, it's a hate-free world for all and, mm-hmm. and that everyone... Um, um, you know, can can live in an unoppressed way. And the reason it's a dual mission is partially because it was, you know, spun up out of a, a Jewish organization, um, but also because those things in the world are inextricably tied. Oh, 100%. Well, because a threat to the Jewish people is a threat to all people. Just like, I mean, you know, hate yeah. is hate. Yeah. And, and, and anti-Semitism tends to show up as a marker when there's oppression of any, any group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, in this wave of shootings uh, that has been so sadly growing, um, I th- this is about a couple of years ago. I kind of popped my head up after my really my whole life, other than like exploring the outdoors, had been tech. Like mm-hmm. you know, nine to five day job, and then doing a side project that's also tech on yeah, the side. Nighttime tinker. Yeah, um, to kind of say like, you know, maybe going and building a big tech company isn't the only way to. To positively, you felt like and, maybe you needed more rounding out of other right. ways to give back. Right. And so, how did you pick the ADL? There's so many yeah. organizations. I I sort of um, I I went through a bunch of nonprofits that were sort of things that I um, um, cared about above some certain bar. So that's like um, things involving our natural world. Uh, so some naturalist organizations. Um, things involved in the stoppage of hate, particularly on the internet, because I, I, um, well, the reason that I ended up picking ADL is I was the most motivated by, um, their mission. And, um, because I think being in technology right now, we are actually uniquely suited to solve the most recent problem. Mm -hmm. So if you think about 50 years ago, what are an organization like the ADL or the ACLU or the SPLC or any of these sort of uh, uh, tremendous organizations that that fight hate in the world, it was a ground game. And there's still a ground game to it. Like yeah. the ADL is still it's on, like... It's a digital situation now. Yeah. Right. It is incredible now how how much the the 
enablement of a lot of this really terrible, hateful stuff happens online. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to take uh, us as a community and generation of people that are internet native um, to devise the, the you know, ways a to... A game plan and a yeah. strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I completely agree. And I also know that you are on some business boards. I'm just more curious, like, how you find time for all of this. Do you have some hacks you can... Well, sure. you do have to like purge stuff. Like that's that's the hard thing. Is like I thought I could do more nonprofit boards. I couldn't. Yeah. You know, I thought at PSL I could do three things at once. I can't. I can do like one, maybe two. Yeah. Um, well, and then you got acquired, which for some people would be a hundred percent a full time job. Yeah, and David and I have had to have really hard looks at each other and say like, this thing could be more. Mm-hmm. Like the growth that we're seeing, the product market fit, the content market fit that we're seeing. I, do we owe it to pour more into it? And we both say, look, we can't. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, you find ways to to say like, well, how do I 80-20 it? Yeah. I know that you're on the board of Glow, which is a podcast monetization company, right? Yep. And so do you feel like you're uniquely situated <laughs> to be helpful to them because you've figured out how to monetize? You've got um, sponsors and huge listenership. Yes. Uh, What Glow does is it basically makes it so any podcaster um, can distribute premium content and charge for it in the most seamless way possible. So basically start a membership program um, in addition to or instead of having uh, sponsorship on the show. Mm -hmm. And um, So we could like stop it right now and go, if you want more, pay me. Yeah. Then that would be sort of the most aggressive way to do it. The, yeah. The, the light touch way that we did is basically, hey, we're going to start um, a second show. It's going to be lighter weight, easier to produce. We're going to do almost no research for it. Um, but it's it's also interesting. And if you want more, like now we're just going to produce this other new additional content. Mm-hmm. And so are you on Glow? I guess is, is yeah. that how you ask it? Yeah. I'm customer number one. You're customer number one. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, I just heard their founder, Glow's founder, speak at the GeekWire. Amira. Um, Amira, she was very impressive. Yeah, I I kind of um, girl crushed her after and came (laughs) up to her and was like, I I don't know if you remember me, but I met you at she's sweet and smart and very impressive. Um, And she she moved here from Boston to to start glow. How'd you get her to do that? So she wanted to start something in the podcasting industry um, and had previously started an ad, ad agency basically to learn what, what the big opportunity was. And we sort of traded emails and calls over six months to basically figure out, like, what do we think it is and landed on Glow. I love the name. I don't know how you got it, but good job. That was also Amira. Good job, Amira. I like the name Amira, too. Um, and we've talked about all your balancing of the time and that Acquired has really taken off. How did you guys decide to do it? And how did you decide David was your right kind of partner on this? Yeah, so David, uh, something that David constantly drills into me, which I think is, is he's a great influence in my life, is play offense. Mm. Like when we're debating something and I'm like, yeah, we could do this, we could do that, you know, I, we could respond to the email like this. And he's like, okay, what's the playing offense way to respond to that email? Like what's the... You know, how, how do we come across to someone like, oh, my God, yeah, I want to be on their show? Or, oh, so or, what do you do to play offense? Here's how David played offense. Okay. Um, I was, we were out to drinks. It was like the second or third time we'd gotten drinks because uh, we both worked at Madrona at the time. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to maybe spend some more time with this guy. And, um, but like here we are every two months trying to get something on the calendar. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do a podcast. I'm thinking about these two ideas. There's this one that ended up being acquired or there's this other one that wasn't as good. And David just like without 
like skipping a beat, he just goes, if you want to do that first one, I will 100% do that with you. Like, let's get started. Okay. And I was just like, were you thinking so you wanted a second person blown away? Like, like I was just taken aback, you know, in that yeah. moment. Cause it was like, Oh, this is real. This is, this just got really real. Yeah. And like, he just, there was no ambiguity around mm-hmm. like, I'd like to be involved. It was just like, I will, I will be your co-host. hundred percent. And, uh, I don't think I, at, at, I don't think I knew like how a lot of, we got lucky along the way of making sure that like, wow, we're really compatible and he likes the stuff I don't and I like the stuff he doesn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's just, when he identifies that there's something that he wants to do, he is like just laser focused and That's gets great. it done. That's great. What you've done is remarkable because time is, is such a currency for people. They don't totally. have time. And so when people tell me that they listen, I'm like, what? You spent your time? Like, to me, that's the highest compliment. Totally. Okay. So I have a few more questions for you. You ready? You've done a lot in a short period of time. Are you a goal setter? Um, I used to think that I was more of a goal setter than I am. I think, uh, like, for example, when I went to Microsoft, I, on the plane, wrote myself like a rubric. So treat it like business school. Go, here's the 18 things you want to accomplish. Here's the playbook to accomplish them. Here's the success criteria that you're going to evaluate yourself on. Every other Sunday, I had a calendar reminder to go and read through my curriculum and then update it. Um, I am not that intentional anymore. And mm-hmm. I think every New Year's, my goal, my one of my resolutions is get more intentional. Um, and like, it's hard. It's hard. I think it's becoming harder because there's too much coming at us. Yeah. And you're like, we're a squirrel. At least me. I mean, I'm like, oh, I need to read that book. Oh, wait, I wanted to watch that show. Oh, wait, I need to meditate. Oh, wait, I need to floss. Oh, wait, I need to. I mean, it's like. Mm-hmm. Ah. I've just given up on flossing. <laughs> well, your teeth are good. Thank you. It's I brush not, them. It hasn't caught up with you yet. So that's good. And so what about any daily rituals? You're clearly not flossing. Um, work out every morning. I, I think. Um, like 5 a.m. situation? Six. But. Ah, okay. Also, like uh, sometimes this is, you're not supposed to do this, but I combine things. So, like, I'll do my first round of email while I'm on the stationary bike, warming up for whatever I'm going to go. Listening do. to a podcast while you're running. Often. Yeah, so that's good. How do you stay informed so that you're able to keep up? I feel like I have a really good set of people I follow on Twitter. That's like I've I've like oh, min maxed it enough to. Ugh. You just unfollow all the yeah. Ugh, I don't even know how to do Twitter, but <laughs> I feel like I should do Twitter, but it overwhelms me and it feels very yuck. I don't know why, but that's good. You followed people on Twitter, and so then you link to a story that they're talking about. Um, I honestly just read my feed, and then if I want, like, and that's how you stay informed. Pretty much, like, unless there's, I, so I read Hacker News every day. Uh, I there's 200 people on Twitter that I follow. I have the mm-hmm. New York Times app on my phone that I subscribe to, so I like will read the New York Times. Um, but mm-hmm. I am extremely guilty of doing this thing where we don't. Um, su- subscribe to a primary source piece of journalism as the means of getting news, and we just listen to what the social, yeah. you know, conversation tells us. Yeah, and, um, that's a thing. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Um, and are there entrepreneurs outside of obviously the Pioneer Square Labs portfolio that you follow really closely and that you admire from afar? Yeah. So one is uh, John, don't say Elon Musk. John Gruber. No, like I, I have way lower key heroes. Except I, I mean Steve Jobs is a, a hero, but like other than that, lower key heroes. So so um, John Gruber he writes a uh, column called Daring Fireball, 
Um, it's a daringfireball.net. It's a blog, and it's it's he's just like I I really admire the lifestyle business that he's built over mm-hmm. the last. 15 years of doing that and it's a it's a media outlet but it's a one-man media outlet similar to like ben thompson has built a really nice living doing stratechery um i i think it's the acquired in me but i i i really admire um like independent journalist entrepreneurs mm-hmm. interesting and so you're following these people yeah in your abundant spare time exactly got it okay and what about unwinding just chilling is that your run yeah I think I run out the nervosa, like a you know the 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 jitters. The um... you've got very um, calm energy though, just so that you know. Thank like, you. I feel very comfortable with you, and I think that that's a skill. I'm serious, and I think that's probably helpful to you as an as an investor. Yeah, probably. I think I, these I, guys can be vulnerable. You know, these these women and men who are presenting ideas to you oh, can be vulnerable oh, with you. Worst. It's like scary. It's like the one of the tenants when we were finding office space was like. Be on a low floor with like brick walls, like like don't. Your office is the most killer. I love your office. It, it's I feel just, homey there. It feels so nice to be in. And, and there's like, fresh, wa- there's fresh fruit. When you walk in to present, it is like like I still walk into other venture firms' offices just to like meet with friends. Yeah. And I'm like oh my god, like I get my heart starts pounding. Yes. Like I'm not Im- immune from that by any means. Yeah. Like, I did a lot of drama in high school, but I still have like a lot <laughs> of like stage fright and a lot of like. You know, presenting something that you have mixed confidence about and lots of imposter syndrome around is so hard. And like, I hate how hard we make that on. It's so weird that you just said imposter syndrome because I was about to ask you about that because I feel like a lot of women talk about that. And when I'm at women events, women always talk about it, but I don't feel like men talk about it a lot. Men have tons of imposter syndrome, well, of but course. they're too puffed up to talk about it. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's, it's, and it, it makes it worse. Like, it creates the spiral. Yeah. Of, then you feel even more impostery because you feel like you've, increase the delta between your perception of what people view you as and what you view you as. Yeah. And do you think that you'll have less of that as you get older? I sure hope. I mean, my goal is to just try and keep being as like honest and vulnerable as I can, because then I think it's hard to have imposter syndrome because you haven't created a perception gap. Mm. But I like that. And it's also hard, like when you're just getting started to be like, yeah, I haven't done anything of consequence. Like that doesn't feel good either. So you you want to you want to like stay a little ahead of your skis, so you can be like, well, you know, yeah. my app did get a million downloads, but yeah. like not too far ahead to like think you're hot shit. Yeah. So that then you have to like go cash that check emotionally later. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. I love that. So what would you say ultimately fuels you? Uh, you knew this one was coming. Probably fear of not mattering in the world. That's deep shit. I didn't think you were going to say that. I mean, I, wow. I just told you I was going to try and be as honest as possible. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. So, not mattering and what defines mattering? That is like the journey that I'm on that I'm trying to figure out. That's really interesting because you, I mean, you could do no, no more and you already matter. Even just if you didn't have acquired, didn't have PSL. Just being a cool person that someone else feels comfortable talking to and, and caring about hate in the world. Trying. Like when I met you, I was intimidated. I'm totally dead serious because you were so accomplished and because the, my first impression was all these awards you had gotten and all this recognition that was public. I just knew your name. But I didn't know if you were going to be cool. And you're just a cool person. Like that's that matters. And since I said so, 
<laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.